0: Consider this a confession of sorts. Knowing what I now know, it seems only prudent to unburden my soul. At the same time, I want you to disbelieve me. Every single stranger who initiates conversation with you wants something, and you should always try, before it's too late, to determine what it is they're trying to talk out of you. Some are bad at it, and you can tell they're asking for money or a favor before they even finish full sentence. I'm not bad at it. In fact, being not bad at it is how I ended up in the home of a young man who I'd guessed was about to be caught up in a storm. I'll tell you this. Anyone can get a private investigator's license. Never let a stranger into your home. No matter what we say, we're not there to help you. Without asking permission, I mosey over to the fridge, opened it, pulled out a beer. Do you mind? He was uncomfortable with my boundary pushing, but I towed the line perfectly. He shrugged awkwardly. Sure. If they give a foot, take 13 inches. I grabbed a second beer and showed it to him. I always drink, two. One for me and one for my buddy. He frowned, visibly on the verge of telling me to put them back. Your buddy? Yeah, I said, sitting down at the large, comfortable chair opposite him. Killed in action. Oh, he hesitated, his annoyance losing its momentum. You served? It's a good idea to have at least two units' tour of duty memorized. One recent, and one not-so-recent. That way, you can tailor your response against the age of your audience, because getting caught in a lie about the military can get you physically beaten. Since he was younger, I told him about the not-so-recent one, and he nodded awkwardly. Not giving him time to dwell on it, I crack open the first beer, and took a gulp, and then said, So what were you, high when you jumped from that roof? He tensed. Nothing. Relax, I said with a grin. I took another sip of beer to remind him without words that I wasn't a cop. I'm not going to bust you. I'm just trying to get the whole story. Fine, he offered, just before going big with his lie. We were on crack, and we just jumped off the roof because we were stupid. Now this was unexpected. He was still trying to hide something, but that something was very different than I'd been guessing. That's not what your friend Kurt said. His expression sharpened. Who'd you say you're investigating for? Gabriella's parents. I said confidently, even though I was immediately aware I completely whiffed. Citing the parents of a kid her age was usually a good bet, but every so often it turned out there was a sob story or a tragic loss that completely screwed you over. He stood, extremely angry. I think you should go. I knew when to call it and run But something about this whole situation Galvanized me to push it a bit further Just tell me the name of the dealer That sold you Remy And you'll never see me again His face turned bright red with fury Ah shit Another strike One more And I'd be in big hurt What Hail Mary could I throw here? Gabrielle is not the only one that's been hurt. I've been paid a lot of money to make sure Remy goes away. He relaxed ever so slightly after taking in my words. Phew. It'd been fifty fifty on that lie at best. As I left, I chugged the open beer in his yard and threw it into his bushes. The second stashed under the passenger seat of my beat-up piece-of-shit car for later. I hadn't even really wanted them. I just had been able to resist an opportunity to take something so unabashedly. In any case, I'd succeeded and come away with a name. About six hours later, I donned a hipster t-shirt, mused up my hair a little, and approached the guy in question. Unlike me, he was unaware that his new drug had caused a debacle and been noticed by the police after one of the three kids had squealed. The police were far too open about details on their radio channels, especially when it came to strange cases, and weighted down by the bureaucracy, they were slow. I was not. Hey, what do you got? I asked the dealer, pretending to be younger than I was. He studied me with bloodshot eyes, but the party was dark, and I could pass for 25 on a good day. Depends on what you got. Because a single $100 bill would have been suspicious, I held up two crumpled 20s, three fives, and 30 random $1 bills. The dealer suppressed an eye roll and put on a casual smile that even I had trouble detecting as fake. Alright, dude. I got something for you. It's new. He held out his hand and showed me a little bag filled with circular dark blue pills. What the hell is this? I asked, fishing for more information as I turned the bag over in my hand. Remy, he said quietly, taking one and swallowing it in front of me. It's perfectly safe and an awesome trip. Guarantee you've never experienced anything like it put you in the rim dreaming while you're still awake. So far, Kurt had been telling the truth. Did that extend to the rest of his reported nightmare? Pocketing the bag, I grabbed the man's arm and flashed him my private investigator's license with my free hand. Tell me where you got the pills, asshole. He cowered for a moment, as if about to crack, but it was only a diversion. He used the motion to get better leverage and twist out of my grasp. I chased after him, and we both ran out of the party and down an alley. There was profit here. I could practically taste it. Some newbie had created a new drug, and it was about to explode in popularity once the media got wind of it. I didn't know exactly how I would make money off this yet, perhaps by taking this amateur dealer's job, but I knew what money there was would be huge. For that imagined payoff, I ran top speed down a series of alleyways while the dealer continually swallowed more of his pills. Was he trying to get rid of the evidence? I came to the entrance of a long box canyon between two buildings and froze. Imagine you're in a theater. Imagine you're watching a movie. The main character, me, has been told about something impossible repeatedly but has now seen it himself. The camera speeds closer to his face while zooming out, giving you that classic horrified perspective shot, backseat by rising adrenaline crescendo. That was this moment. The dealer had literally vanished into thin air while I'd been watching him, and my heart had skipped a beat in my chest. I'd been right about one thing. He was an asshole. He'd known that taking too much Remy allowed physical access to some sort of dream layer of reality, and yet he'd still sold it to unsuspecting college kids. Did he simply think they'd stick to one or two pills and thereby remain safe, or was it more sinister than that? As I stood there and blinked in stunned surprise, I began to wonder if something deeper was going on here. all my leads had been flipped so we only had one left the pills themselves I drove home and sat in my living room with that little bag and the beer I'd taken earlier that day both sitting on my table like forbidden fruits waiting to be consumed I had a general idea of what to expect but the fate of that girl in the hospital still gave me pause as long as I don't overdose I'd be fine, right? No, bad idea. You never take your own product. I could just sell these tomorrow. After examining them for any sign of a creator's stamp and finding none, I left them on the table and stood outside on the porch to smoke a cigarette and drink my lone beer. My backyard was small and full of random debris from storms a few months earlier, but tonight, there was someone standing in the far corner. Hey! I shouted. Get out of here. This is private property. He didn't move. I stormed toward him, angry, until something about his manner locked me in place halfway to his corner. He started my way, expressionless, yet that lack of expression somehow itself held an utter hopelessness. He'd been alone so long that the very instinct of moving one's face with emotion, had been beaten out of him by endless disappointment after disappointment. I could almost feel this truth in an aura filling his fenced corner. Oh, God. I'd taken one of the pills. How had I forgotten that? That seamless transition from waking to dreaming, in this case, both at once, had elusively slipped through my conscious grasp. I stepped to the right, and he followed me smoothly with his haunted gaze. The worst part, for me, was that he wasn't asking for anything. I expected everyone to have a scam. I expected everyone to try and imitate conversation and run something on me. This guy, with his pale features and forlorn manner, had truly given up all hope. I see you. I said tentatively. Everything about him changed. His shoulders lifted, his eyes narrowed, and his lips parted. He pointed at the half-empty beaker in my hand. Can... He rasped for a moment, then managed to continue. Can I have a sip? Just a little bit. Weary, but... Enthralled by this surreal stranger in my backyard, I crept forward and held out the can. Watching his eyes, I pulled it back at the last moment, evading his slow grasp. Wait. There was some kind of pain and need in his gaze, something that I recognized very well. You don't want to do this, do you? I held out the can again, this time saying, Make the choice not to take it. He strained against his own weakness, but then pulled his hand back and looked at me with utmost thanks. From one moment to the next, he was there, and then he was gone. I stared at the empty space where he'd been standing. On some level, I understood. He'd been an alcoholic in life. He'd probably ruined his family or gotten him killed. It had probably ruined his family or gotten him killed. That meant, like that boy Kurt had told me, I'd just been speaking with the dead. Panicked, I darted back to my apartment. It was a rundown place, one of a long series I'd talked my way into and then continually avoided paying rent on, but it was my only current refuge. There were two rooms, a combination kitchen and living room, and a bedroom, and the latter seemed to now contain two guests lying still under the sheets. Despite the blankets over their faces, I could sense them staring at me in the same way the other man had. I'd been lying between them unknowingly for weeks, but I now knew I had certainly felt their unblinking eyes on me in the solitary hours of the night. Grabbing the bag of pills from the table and running out to the street in a vain attempt to find a moment to get a grip, I ended up plunging headlong into the dream's strengthening effects. Light poles became trees and then pillars. Buildings changed and morphed at the edges of my vision. I'd done my share of tripping, but it was infinitely more stressful knowing that portions of this could actually be real. What was a dream? What was spiritual? Those kids had spectrally interacted with recently deceased human beings, but Kurt had been able to tell me what his friends had gone on to see. Whatever it was, it had scarred them bad enough that they jumped from the roof of a burnt-out house. Standing there on that lonely pavement among quietly shifting urban canyons, I thought I could feel something out there in the limitless expanse of dreams that ranged far deeper than the stars in the sky or the curve of the earth on the horizon. Something deep in unknown darkness and across black oceans radiated an intrinsic unhallowed vibration so far-reaching and powerful that it seemed to subtly warp all creation. My fear brought me in tune with it, letting me sense some sliver of power, and I shook. The sighs... Unimaginable, the power, immeasurable. Every fiber of human instinct within me, twanged with long, evolved response. Run away, hide. But despite the halo of dreaming numbing my senses, I also felt more awake than I'd been in years. Like that fellow alcoholic in my backyard, I'd let the despair of certainty and physical reality chain me. I'd let my hopes get strangled by office chairs and gray cubicles until I realized that in such a mundane and pathetic world I could lie my way into almost anything I wanted. Why work when you could just take? But even that escape had just been a tunnel dug into another cell in the same prison. Now I knew that our Earth and our existence were tiny and meaningless in the face of a universe far bigger than we could ever comprehend. We were like barnacles clinging to a rock in the ocean and that meant, wonderfully, that I knew nothing. I'd been wrong about life. My hope must have flared like a tiny little beacon on the fabric of dreams, for I felt an answering ray of darkness shoot out from an infinite distance. That black beam of awareness scoured the dreamscape, searching, screaming, extinguishing. My impression of it was that of an anti-lighthouse, not warning away for safety, but seeking to pull in and consume an anti-lighthouse powered by a dark flame of fear with the intensity of a black star. This was that cosmic unknown beast that I had sensed, whose mere aura warped dreaming into nightmares. I ran alive with both fear and excitement. This far away, my best chance was to hide and blend in with the boundless dreamscape like so many tiny humans before me. Their escape was always instinctual and automatic, waking at the last moment before it caught them, but that avenue was closed to me. I was already awake. A large, silent crowd stood in place and stared at me as I dashed onto the open grass. Even with that black beam roving the worlds above, this place gave me pause. Each child, man, and woman stood in front of their own weathering headstone, watching passerby from their quiet plots of earth and grass. The legion roar of that searching darkness approached, touching upon the dream sculpted towers of the city proper on the horizon. I could see the awake security men and janitors inside, even at this distance as they shivered and looked over their shoulders. One guard was slumped in his chair, dozing off, and I saw his aura stutter and strangle as the black surged around him. His scream of absolute terror joined to the other's eternal. I shouted for his fate aghast. The beam began swinging closer. The dead saw this and began slowly moving their arms, beckoning me among them. My every nerve surging with terror, I ran deeper into the graveyard, settling in my last scant moments on a spot marked by an ancient headstone that had been worn too much by time to remain legible. I stood facing forward like the rest of the various ancestors around me, noticing that some of the number on the plots had no spirit to accompany stone, dirt, and grass. Like the man in my backyard, some number of them had found resolution and... What? Where did they go after this? Absolute pain and horror exploded through every cell in my body as the graveyard blackened. It was not darkness in that sense of nothing. It was anti-light. So that the trees and headstones and spirits became negative silhouettes outlined in an electric gray. Each of the spirits clenched their fist and gaped their mouths, but none made a sound. Despite the pain, one old woman turned her head, kept her eyes on mine, and struggled mightily to put a finger to her lips, warning me, without words, to remain silent. If I made a single noise, he would pick me from the crowd in an instant. full intensity of the beam reached us. I was on a vast ocean of screaming and tortured souls above, below, in every direction like a fog of faces and haunting pains. I was just a boy and my father roared at me with fiery eyes and raised his hand but I held in my terrified scream. I was old and alone having never been so much as intriguing to any woman. I sat and bitterly stared at passing couples, but I held in my groan of lifelong remorse. I was myself just a few years before, staring at a great cubicle wall and seriously considering the merits of suicide because of the sheer pointlessness of it all, but I held in my muttered curses. At long last, the screaming darkness went for broke, inflicting every bruise, cut, or burn I'd ever experienced or might ever experience all at once, and then every heartbreak, every loss, every moment of nostalgia or random sadness. I cried silently, racked by immeasurable torture, but the old woman's gaze locked on mine, let the pain flow out of me and into the surrounding spirits who suffered with me for my sake. And then it was all over. Colors surged back into the positive spectrum. I fell to the earth, tears streaming from my blurred eyes, every blood vessel swelled, every nerve on fire, every muscle caught in spasms. I choked and coughed and sobbed and bled from my ears and nose, but I'd survived. Blinking to clear my sight, I looked up in thanks at the human spirits that had cloaked me in the crowd and borne part of my pain to keep my mind whole, but they were shaking and trembling with their own aftereffects. Only the old woman smiled at me and I suddenly felt like every scam and con I'd ever pulled had been some sort of crime against the bond of human goodness that did exist between us after all that hurt almost as much as the untold nightmare that the beast in the infinite distance had inflicted upon me merely by gazing in my general direction. I rolled on the chill earth ruined but straining to move. The beam was coming back my way. That moment of utmost need warped the dirt under my gaze and I tumbled into a deep tunnel between the graves that I'd shifted into through the force of pure, unadulterated desire. Rolling down a slope that adjusted its tilt to keep my momentum up, I slid away from that horrible sea of energy as it blurred past. I sent out a silent apology to those buried men, women, and children who would have to suffer that experience a second time. Lying there in darkness, hugged close by dirt on every side, I just breathed. several minutes and tried to recover my faculties. As my heart rate slowed I began to feel a little strange and I got out my cell phone to see where I was by its light. I saw two images. A small circular tunnel through the earth and dirt right up in my eyes. I started trying to comprehend it until it hit me. The Rimmy was wearing off. I was about to return to reality fifty feet under a graveyard. I scrambled at the loose slope but only managed to slide further down. Panicking, I began to envision what it would be like to suddenly become one with compressed dirt. Would I suffocate? Would I be crushed? Or would I just die instantly as earth molecules appeared all throughout my body? After surviving that brush with true nightmare, I was going to die down here. No, wait. I still had the pills. I pulled them out of my pocket and put ten of them in my mouth. And then spit out eight, thinking of that poor girl whose face I'd seen through a windowed hospital door. Remy was fast acting when a person had already taken one. I'd seen the dealer do it to escape me. I wondered if the chemistry of the human mind was more open when already partially in the dream state. The dirt disappeared from my sight as the new pills kicked in and the dream tunnel became more real. Forcing myself to calm down, I did the only thing I could. I crawled deeper. The close walls circled ever narrower until I had to push forward with my shoulders to scrape dirt away. For a beat, I'd feared I'd be trapped forever, but the tunnel i dreamed into existence seamlessly became a rectangular air vent, wide enough for me to crawl faster with relief. A distant male voice echoed through the ducts. I hate this place, man. I crept up to a grating and looked down upon two men talking among several pallets of unmarked boxes. Immediately, I remembered why I'd come here in the first place. My subconscious had drilled down to where I'd needed to go. One of the men turned his head to look behind him warily, and I recognized him as the dealer I chased. What are you worried about? The other asked. Just keep a low profile and avoid other people's dreams and you'll be golden something out there way worse than what happened to Ricky the dealer hissed I felt it looking for us we're not supposed to be here look you got me the other man shoved a tied stack of hundreds into his hands now do your job and stop talking about Ricky he was dumb and wandered into someone's nightmare that's on him Ignoring those ominous words, I stared at the stack of hundreds. There it was. I'd known from the start that there would be a payoff somewhere in all this. Were all these people actually using a warehouse in dreams to traffic drugs? As I watched the dealer grab a box and carry it out of sight, the genius of it all struck me. The cops could never raid this place, never trace supply lines, never even garner a clue where the product was coming from because The dealers would be waking up in a bed with a box that had appeared from nowhere. For that matter, where did the pills come from? Did someone create them in the lab, or were they themselves dreamt into existence? With a grin, I focused on my hand and a stack of bills appeared between my fingers. I thought my troubles were over, but my moment of triumph faded as I leafed through them and realized they were blurry and that the text upon them changed every time I looked at them. Son of a bitch. They weren't real. But a pile of stacked cash on the table below was. I just had to wait for the supplier to leave, and... I trembled and fought a wave of fear and nausea. As much as I wanted that money, the animal my brain rode around in had not forgotten the trauma I'd just been through and the prospect of more adrenaline and danger had my body rebelling. All I wanted was to find a safe place to hide until the dream wore off and I could go home. It's alright, I told it. Let's just get that money and then we'll never stress again. Easy beers and burritos for years yet, still, I couldn't move. I kept reliving shadows of that invasive darkness right up until I looked ahead rather than down and saw a form approaching in the duct. Not a shadow or anything related to darkness. That was the first relief. But as it continued to move oddly, what had appeared to be a distant gray silhouette sharpened into something that was actually much closer. I stared until it hit me. I was looking at a blank gray humanoid shape, and it was crawling toward me. The sudden physical threat lifted my paralysis and I crawled forward and right down another path as the clamoring noise of the specter quickened. I was already tired and my muscles were burning, but I gripped my teeth and crawled as fast as I could along the cramped metal. Coming to a T-junction over a grate, I looked both ways and saw a second and third gray silhouette clambering toward me from both directions. There was only one way out. Kicking the grate open, I slid down and fell into the open air. Half expecting to jolt away at the last second, I yelped in surprise as I slammed into a wide pallet of boxes and rolled onto the floor. Staggering up as quickly as I could, I first looked up where three blank gray faces watched me from the vent but did not pursue. Around me, the warehouse was empty. The supplier had departed. Creeping along, I found the table stacked high with cash and stuck stacks in every pocket. Hell, why not? Pulling on an old trick, I put a couple down in my underwear too, just in case I got caught tents near to the point of passing out I decided it was time to go while my luck was good grabbing a few bags of Remy from the boxes I'd smashed I crossed the warehouse space and peered around corner after corner before deciding each hallway was safe where was this place did it correspond to a real location while so deep in the dream state there was no way to tell my primary hope was to go up in case I was still somewhere underground but the rusted old maintenance door I found led right out to the cool night street objects on the edges of my vision still morphed and changed when I wasn't looking but I was back exultant but keeping calm and nonchalant I walked until I was certain I was out of danger at that moment I ran laughing and triumphant my shitty apartment seemed beautiful in its offering of privacy I was going to pay rent for once maybe even clean up the debris in the backyard after closing the blinds I pulled all the cash out and placed it on the table to counter to make sure it was all real and then I hid it under my mattress I remembered the two silent, blanket-covered watchers on the bed, and I knew they were still there, but I couldn't see or sense them now that the remedy had worn off. Screw it. One more night in between them couldn't hurt. I lay in the darkness for a time, my trauma assuaged by my success, but sleep came fitfully in the full of nightmarish flashbacks. I awoke around dawn, not nearly rested, but energized by happiness. In my flashbacks, I'd had time to process some of the things I'd seen, especially in that black river of pure torture. Among the screaming faces, I now recognized one. The girl I'd seen through that window door at the hospital. No. I couldn't do anything about it. I'd gotten away with that money scot-free, There was no connection to me whatsoever. It had been dark at that party, and I'd put on different mannerisms for the dealer. I could walk past him right now, and smile, and say hello, and he'd never even suspect. I had the cash. I was home free. Just forget about it. But that dead old woman's gaze haunted me, reminding me of what I'd learned. God damn it. God damn it. I didn't know where the comatose girl was, or if it was even possible to save her, but I did know the direction from which Infinite Nightmare had sought to extinguish my small flare of hope. I wrestled with this idiot idea for hours, telling myself that this was how people got killed in movies, that stupid choice to go back or to do something foolish after seeing the truth of the danger. But I found I didn't really have a choice. I could either do this... Or go back to hating life with the added despair of hating myself. No. The small seed of true living hope that I found in that other world is more precious to me than any other possession. I know it's stupid. But I have no choice. I have to tell that kid that his friend is still out there. Such a bad idea. This was such a bad idea. I knocked again. The door swung open and an air of sadness immediately burned hostile. What the hell do you want? I took it, I told him, shivering as I did so. I took Remy, and I saw her there. He watched me for nearly eight heartbeats, judging my sincerity. My purposeful shiver had likely sold the deal. All right. He moved out of the way, wordlessly inviting me in. And no, you cannot have a beer. I sat tall on his couch, tense. Let's start over. Call me Porter. He moved unhappily to the chair across from me. Is that your real name? No. It's important we stay disentangled from the men we might run into, and from each other. I see. Then call me Guy. Just Guy? Just Guy. Now tell me what you claim you saw. I leaned forward and put my hands on the living room coffee table to draw out unseen concepts with gestures. I explained the lighter details of my search, the heavier details of that horrible experience, and the anti-light of the beast's gaze, and my recollection of his friend Gabby's face among the countless tortured souls within. I believe you, Guy said, sighing. Or I believe you took Remy and dreamt you saw her. It was her, I said calmly, or else I wouldn't be here. Why are you here? Forgive me if I don't assume you just care too much. Fair point. I turned my head and looked out the window at the chill afternoon street where men walked family dogs and women ran by with headphones on. This was the view. This was always the view. Some long, unexpressed sense of stasis prompted me to finally ask, Have you ever noticed that it's always fall? He rubbed his eyes tiredly. That's impossible. I I remember that it was summer when we... He frowned. When you what? I asked. He fought off exhaustion and stood. Wait... We took Remy, didn't we? I nodded. I think we did. So much for all that planning. I can't remember what we talked about now. Or what we were supposed to do, he said, moving to the window and studying the shifting houses across the street. Didn't you have some idea where we should go? I know the direction the beast is in, I told him, standing and flexing my fingers against the strange dragging inertia of entrance into the dream state. I can still feel it out there, like it's slightly bending absolutely everything. But going it would be stupid as hell. He snapped his fingers. The drug dealers. Yes. A bit of a plan flared back into focus. The creator of the pills must know something. No way whoever it is makes this distribute something like Remy without having a bit of knowledge about this. Hell, I felt super hopeful just once, and it tipped off that thing and nearly got me, I don't know, caught. And why you, Porter? Guy asked, remembering more himself. Why don't most of the other users suffer the same way? I've since seen people... Take it and tool around with it without a care in the world. It was only you and my friends that stumbled into nightmares. Bad trips, I said. Maybe, like other drugs, they're rare and random. Maybe. He moved to the door and flung it wide, exposing the afternoon street beyond, where men still walked family dogs and women still ran by with their headphones on. Where to? I don't actually know. I sat down to the cold sunlight and tried to get a feel for the constantly changing suburban blocks around me. The dream world's weird. You just kind of end up finding what you're seeking, Guy said simply and grimly. Yeah. That way, then. I turned left and we began walking down the sidewalk together. For a time, it was actually a little awkward. I'd expected immediate adventure, but now we were just two guys on a walk. So, what's this girl to you? I asked, breaking the silence. A good friend, he responded. Her parents died a while back. Nobody left to go after her but me. I grew wary. You got some sort of hero complex... That kind of thing gets people killed. No. I accepted his answer for the moment, because the sky was bruising amazing shades of orange and purple. It had been night last time I'd taken Remy, and this was wholly unexpected. Is that the sunset? Massive flares of painted pleasant neon roiled above, and both of us stared in wonder. My vision slowly fell to a warehouse much closer than the sky. That's it. We opted to walk rather than sneak close, hoping that we would look like random pedestrians if someone saw us. That proved to be unnecessary, for no guards were stationed around the warehouse. It made sense, actually. The place wasn't even accessible from the real world. Who would they be guarding it from? Hallway after hallway rolled by until I held Guy back from the last corner and peeked around it. Nobody's home. That, too, made sense. It'd be rather difficult to stay on Remy more than temporarily without overdosing. This time, several safes had been set up in the middle of the floor. I knew it was for the cash, and prompted by the stacks I'd taken, given how strange the dream world was, they hadn't assumed someone had compromised the operation, but they'd taken precautions nonetheless. Ignoring the pallets of boxes filled with pills, Guy studied some of the papers on a large table near the safes. They keep changing. I took one, read it, looked away, then read it again. They're not real. Then... Are there any leads here at all? I was about to say no and perhaps suggest waiting for suppliers to make a drop off, but I already knew that might take days or longer. When I looked up, my eyes caught upon a subtle distortion at the under end of the pallet farm. What is that? We moved closer. I stared up at the ceiling as I passed, but I saw no evidence of the ventilation system I'd previously used to access the place or the gray forms that had cornered me within. Without mentioning it, I turned my attention to the disturbance ahead. Up close, it had the vague, wavy outline of a door, albeit one formed of heat shimmers. Guy's hand went right through it. This just can't be some random thing we dreamt up tried my hand, too. How do we access it? We've only got one variable, he said, pulling some dark blue pills out of his pocket. Had I given him those? Here goes nothing. He downed one without hesitation and then took several deep breaths. His next attempt to reach out succeeded, and he turned the ethereal knob and pushed the door open. Water sloshed out onto the floor, spilled over by the undulating energy of the ocean, whose surface ran almost exactly level with the base of the door. The dark blue waters mirrored the open sky, offering nothing but an endless expanse. We both gazed out for a time, mystified, until he decided to take a leap of faith without consulting me. I almost shouted until he landed on something just under the splashing water. Looking close, we can now see the molted dark blue marble just beneath the surface, forming a nearly invisible walkway under the deep ocean. This is it, he said, moving forward. I know it. Testing my footing, I stepped carefully onto the walkway. I hadn't taken a second pill, but... It seemed I could follow him anyway now that the door had been opened. The threshold felt strange, like a thin membrane stretched across my face and hands until it broke, and some part of me instinctively understood that this was something new. A level deeper, a level higher. The strong sea breezes felt amazing and free. Those same breezes became the primary threat as we inched our way along the narrow and hard-to-see blue marble. My shoes and ankles were soaked instantly, and the lapping waves upped that chill splash to my knees, especially when the wind strengthened. Looking back often, I watched as the door shrank in the distance, leaving us fully out on the open sea. I'm not too sure about this. I lost Gabby on the ocean, he shouted back. This wouldn't be here if they didn't use it. That seemed reasonable, but I never had a chance to agree. A particularly strong wave hit me, and I fell to the wet blue marble and slipped halfway off. Gripping the other edge of the stone and kicking my legs against the surprisingly powerful current pulling on my legs, I roared for help. guy came running, but he'd been quite far ahead. I had the space of a dozen rapid heartbeats to truly feel the vast darkness of the ocean, cold and endless below my kicking feet. I thought I could sense something approaching, like some horrible creature that might swim up and grasp my legs any moment. Who knew what might reside in this layer of the dream world, or within the dark depths of those completely unknown waters? Guy helped lift me up, and I clung to the marble and tried to still my racing pulse. Adrenaline still burned in my veins, so I stayed close as we made our way more carefully along the narrow marble. We sighted a dark line on the horizon, and then we were there, a tick later, jumping from the abrupt end of the marble onto bright reddish orange sand, the color of a deep sunset. It was there that we first saw evidence that something was seriously lacking in our understanding of the dream world. A weathered stone face about ten feet high rested at an angle in the fire stand, in vacant eyes staring out over the ocean at some unknowable ancient destination. The gray rock was pocked and weathered and fully real to the touch as far as we could tell. Someone had actually carved this eons ago. This was no dream statue. Porter, it used to point the way, Guy realized. Look, it's almost facing the underwater marble path. I lined myself up and judged the perspective. I think you're right. At that angle, the sun was also in my eyes, which begged a certain question. Didn't we see the sunset earlier? Why is it light here? He put a shading hand to his forehead and looked up at the sky but found no answer. We slogged along the fire-sand beach, slowly finding more evidence of ancient habitation until I began to grow inexplicably weak. I fell to my knees in the sand and sighed with exhaustion. You're disappearing, he said quickly, handing me another pill. We have no idea where they are. Take this before you end up back in some random place in the real world. I swallowed it and watched as my translucent hands returned to opaque. That should be a priority. Which? Mapping the overlay of the dream world to the real world, I said, remembering now that we had actually talked about this just before taking the drug, it might help if we knew which part of the world corresponds to which part of the dream world. Skip ahead on future trips. You think we won't find her tonight? He asked, suddenly crestfallen. Damn it. His obvious pain was actually getting to me, despite my repeated mental warnings that I should keep attachments light. No, man. This was just our first scouting attempt. He took that with grim grace and turned away. I think there's something up ahead. He was right. A vast stone wall, as ancient as the other remnants but in much better repair, spanned the way ahead of us, beyond the fire dunes to deep in the ocean itself. This was definitely something. We both tried to run it, but found the effort weirdly futile. Walking measuredly to the wall instead, and seeing no other way but climbing over it, we used weathered and pitted handholds to begin our ascent. I snapped awake in my cubicle and immediately began clicking and typing out of pure habit, something I'd learned to do to avoid being caught sleeping. Already, that dread despair that had surrounded my life in the office began closing in. Seeking any distraction, I turned in my chair. Guy, have you seen the week's reports? He turned to look at me and said, Yeah, hold on, I'll email them to you. We both slid back to our monitors and keyboards and froze. I think this is my dream, I said, looking around for familiar nightmarish clues. No, I think it's mine, he responded. I shook my head. I have nightmares about when I used to work in an office. He frowned. I have nightmares about having to go work in an office when I graduate. Fair enough. I stood, picked up my monitor, and threw it on the ground. It bounced unharmed and returned to the desk. Damn it. I tried to leave, but found every exit blocked by a smooth gray cubicle fabric. The gray reminded him of something. Wait, aren't we climbing a wall somewhere? I shook my head roughly and then scrambled to hold on to stone as I shot up from the depths of some sort of dream bubble our mutual fears had created together. He was already falling past me, and I caught him reflexively. My dream strength was minor, but It was enough to snap him out of it and he grabbed the wall beneath me and swung hard against it. I grinned down at him. Try to stay focused. Yeah, you too. We climbed on. The top of the wall was impossibly high in the air and we gazed down upon a tremendous city of gold and bronze. There were no spires and domes. Flat roofs dominated the architecture. I wondered if I could find an opportunity to peel up some of that gold lining from the tan brick buildings. My planning stopped as Guy asked, Where do you think we are in the real world? Somewhere high up, clearly. Were we on a radio tower looking out over the city, or was this place purely in dreams? He pointed to the distant harbor where one elaborate wooden vessel stood out among the others, enormous and dark. That's the boat! Which? The one I lost Gabby on. He began to climb down the other side of the high city wall. Whose boat is it? I asked, following. I nearly slipped when he said, Deaths. But surely he couldn't have meant the actual concept and reaper himself. Maybe he was just being overly poetic. We reached the street and stepped down into a flow of people that either hadn't noticed or hadn't cared about our climb. I tried to focus on faces, but got nothing more than blurs and vague expressions. We were cramped and cowered, but I couldn't be sure whether we were actually still alone. Their clothing was unlike anything I knew. Primary colors were dominant, but only in patches and strips on rugged browns and blacks. Is this where the pill comes from? Guy seemed unhappy. Do they carry the boxes over that wall every time? He pushed deeper into the maze like streets, and I knew he was heading for the harbor. The tanstone alleys would not cooperate, angled twisting and labyrinthine. They always offered easy passage with the swiftly flowing crowd, but they never actually seemed to lead anywhere useful. Guy began moving faster, and I changed my stance to that of a slow run to keep up. A few rapid turns later, I realized that we were both running, not in that open and free sense that dreams made impossible, but in a desperate attempt to keep up with the quickening crowd that pushed and jostled and threatened to trample us should we slow or fall. We both realized we were in some serious trouble at the same time. We have to get out of this flow, I shouted. Look for anything that we can climb on but the smooth walls had lost all their windows, doors, and open shops. Blurry hands began pushing at me, and a choir of distorted voices demanded that I go faster. Pushing to the physical limits of my speed, I ran as fast as I could alongside Guy, and even then sensing the crowd's feet nipping at my heels. Swept along, we swiftly approached a sharply angled turn that I guessed we would smash against with force. The narrowing alley had sped up the flow far too much. In fact, the walls had become so narrow, I shouted my idea and we both attempted to leap at the very last moment. Throwing out my hands and feet, I managed to put pressure against both tan walls. Guy followed, slipped and nearly fell but caught himself at the last moment. We hung there, a rushing stream of heads passing by mere inches beneath until we found good angles and began pushing our way higher. As we inched up the alley, the walls seemed to grow higher and the ground stretched away, leaving us dangerously exposed to a fall. Neither of us had breath to talk, so we just kept at it until we came to the gold-lined edges of the flat roofs themselves. Oh, shit. What now? Guy asked. With my hands pushed flat against one wall my shoes pressed hard against the other, it didn't seem like there was any way to actually grab the edge of the roof and climb on. Tiring, we remained there, a mile fall to the forcefully flowing crowd awaiting us. I held out a hand a few times, but I could feel the drop nearly happening. I have no idea, the Guy said through gritted teeth. You hold on tight. I'll come and climb on top of you and get on the roof, and then pull you up. How about I climb on top of you? I offered, almost out of strength. Fine, just hurry. He shakily moved his hands down one at a time and then followed with his feet, leaving him just short at the top. I put a hand out to my left, applied pressure, and then moved my other hand, sliding above him inch by inch. Ready? He just grunted. I left off the pressure on my feet and instead put my weight on him. He began sliding away under me, and I grabbed the edge of the roof as quickly as I could. He fell, and a terrible jerk pulled my legs straight down as he hung from my ankles. With both our weights on the tips of my fingers, I shouted, Go! He pulled at my jeans and my shirt to climb up, and I did my best to block out the strain and hurt. Finally, he found the edge of the roof himself, slid over my head, and turned to pull me onto the warm gold. We were safe. That was close to the worst thing ever, I groaned, gazing up in pain at the dimming sky. Trust me, he said. There's worse ahead. I believed him. Staggering along the rooftops until we'd both recovered, we approached the harbor from a high angle. Out of the thread of the alleys, we could now see bustling trade being undertaken by blurry-faced natives. Strangely, the faces of those men disembarking from the ships to deliver wares were clear and recognizable. I knew we'd found something important when I started noticing normal clothing among the lot, and then one man passed by with a familiar box in his arm. That's it! He's got Remy! guy watched with narrow eyes, clearly angry at whoever was responsible for the drug. Staying low, he crept along the gold-lined edge, following the delivery man without being detected. We found ourselves on top of a massive stone warehouse by the docks as the sun truly began to set for the second time. Our quarry exited the warehouse empty-handed after a moment and headed for the docks. Figure out which boat he's unloading, I whispered, heading to a curious stone ventilation access. Leaning into it, I saw carved handholds allowing entrance. Climbing down, I began feeling a wave of nausea and exhaustion. Clinging to the lowest handhold, I peered to the vast dockside warehouse while my vision began doubling. I needed to take another Remy, but I also needed both my hands to stay on my perch. A pitch black silhouette stood by the piled boxes of Remy. It turned its head slowly my way and I found myself paralyzed by strange dark blue static. Ruby points of light began sliding around at the curve of that silhouette, some sort of horrible eyes about to see me, but the paralysis got to me first. Finally, in a free fall like I dreaded that entire climb in the alleys, I crashed down through branch after branch until finally hitting soft, mossy ground with a painful thud. It was cold. That much I sensed first, even when the wind knocked out of me. Crawling up, I saw that I was in a heavily forested area and that it was the middle of the night. That city of bronze and gold had not an analogue in the real world, and I would accidentally left my companion. A crashing sound somewhere close by in the trees signaled that he'd followed. Crawling over to his gasping and pained form, the thought of that terrible silhouette with the ruby eyes still chilling my heart, I groaned. We need a better plan. It had taken the better part of a month to scam our way into the job, but now that we were in, things were moving quickly. You were either in or not in these kinds of organizations. I just hoped we could go back out once this was all over. I wasn't sure why I was still helping, but I think it had something to do with embarrassment. Guy was fiercely focused and never wavered. I felt like a scumbag in comparison and didn't want to make that self-assessment grow. I'd never really thought about myself without an objective, critical eye before, but seeing hints of the true scope of existence had forced me to make a sober re-evaluation of many things. It had begun with hope that there was actually something more, and then evolved into this mad quest to save one comatose girl from eternal torture. The city of gold and bronze glinted in the evening sun. High corners flashed colored bits of lights from the blazing sky— Carrying box after box from the sailing ships harbored across from the warehouse we'd found the month before, Guy and I did our best to shut up, blend in, and see what we could see. Death was not in attendance this time, and for that, I was utterly thankful. I was almost entirely sure that the horrid silhouette with ruby eyes hadn't seen me before I'd woken up, but this mere presence had left me permanently shaken reaper was real and involved in the drug trade. Existence was far stranger than I could have ever guessed, unless something more sinister than profit was at stake. That night, with our unloading job done, we stood around in the warehouse with a half dozen other guys and drank grey wine from curiously elaborate glasses who shared style with a source of renown for the Dream City's glassblowing district. None of these men were Cultured or particularly intelligent, undoubtedly a sacred profile for the job, so the conversation centered around confusion. Were these dream people real? They appeared to have lives and eat and sleep and other things, but none of us had ever truly followed one to see all the various behaviors present in a continuous manner. It was possible they were all just imagined set pieces for an illusionary city. One bearded and solemn southern man asked, but who dreams it when we're not here? For that, we had no answer. They sent us home with pay with enough time to get back before sunset. Behind me, Guy lingered for just a moment and watched the sailing ships heave anchor, turn, and depart. I told him, don't draw attention. That's where we need to be on those ships. We'll get there. Organizations like this are built on trust. I proceeded along the wharf to dispel any sense in the onlookers that he and I were associates, and the world began to change and fade as my Remy wore off. I found a good spot by then and arrived on my feet on a mossy patch of flat rock next to a creek in the woods that served as the Dream City's real-world analog. I saw several of the other guys on the long night walk out, but we each instinctively knew not to speak to one another. Off the job, we were not buddies. Once home, Guy and I sat around my table and drew maps of what we knew. The volume of product is nearly industrial, I told him. And I bet they have incredible distribution advantages because the distances in the dream world can be shorter. Like that forest we keep dropping into... 30 miles out of town, but we didn't walk nearly that far to get there. His thoughts were elsewhere. Even if we get on one of those ships, even if we find the source of all this, there's a solid chance they don't know anything about the beast. This could all be a waste. No. I snapped my fingers at him. Focus. There is no way an organization of this size knows nothing about that thing. It dominates their environment, and drug cartels do nothing better than navigating their environment. They know what this is and how it behaves. They have to. Mollified for the moment, he accepted that. I knew he was itching to do something, and that every day we delayed meant another eternity of suffering for his friend. I'd witnessed a small bit of it firsthand after all, but I also knew that he was his own greatest liability. These Remy runners had no idea we had another agenda, and there was no way they would find out unless one of us did something stupid. In the meantime, during daylight hours, we went about our respective lives. He knew nothing of me, and I knew nothing of him, as was safe. However, When we met up to plan, we discussed how the world was changing. Remy was spreading quickly as the drug of choice in our city, and undoubtedly in many others. I had no doubt that would be the case. For most, it was a safe and amazing trip to another mode of existence. For some, it was a panacea for grief. At night, the local cemeteries became increasingly littered with high parents talking to their lost children, family members reminiscing with dead siblings and do-gooders trying to provide absolution for unfinished business to any willing ghosts. The traffic balance of the hours shifted. It had become safer to meet during daylight hours when the ghosts remained unseen and unheard even when Remy augmented one's senses. Far too many people were walking and driving about in the night. There was no media reports on any of this. The light society refused to entertain the notion entirely. The news, obviously, stuck to the parroted talking points its owner had set forth. Police began cracking down hard on those who possessed any amount of Remy, but it didn't matter. Prohibition had never worked, and it only made the spread worse now as people developed connections and methods to buy Remy safely and anonymously. And that meant increased work for us. They already paid us well, but now we were in the dream world more or less full-time, unloading a growing number of ships and personally taking product to dealers when the organization became shorthanded. It wasn't the direction Guy wanted to go. We were interacting more with the real world and dealers rather than sailing across those unknown seas into deeper dream worlds, but I knew it was progress. The opportunity came when our boss ran afoul of strange morphic dream beasts that sometimes roamed the air above that dark blue marble pathway just under the ocean waters. It at first appeared to be a mocking white mask shrouded in a dark hood and tried to ensnare him in a black body bag. But Guy and I applied our knives and our perception of the thing became a floating blob of hungry dark blue goo that had wrapped a pulsating tentacle around the man's waist. We slashed it to little effect, but Guy brought out a lighter. Did he smoke? I'd never seen him do so. And the slightest flame sent the nightmare blob floating away at speed. Boss looked to the other guys in our crew and berated them. Some made excuses about the path being narrow, but he spat tobacco chew at them with disgust. We were in. He didn't say anything about it, but I knew, especially when we were left alone with the shipment and cash for the first time at the warehouse we'd first infiltrated. The movements of men to other duties seemed random, but I gave Guy a heads up and we both went out for a smoke. He refused my offer of a cigarette. Hmm. Meanwhile, I looked around in the shifting distance. Without giving away that I saw, I pointed to watchers. It was a test. Passed, of course. guy's goal wasn't drugs or money, and my goal had yet to be defined. When Boss came back and there was not even a single pill or dollar missing, he said nothing and went about his work. Two days later, just before we went to unload more boxes from one of the sailing ships, he grunted and motioned for us to step aside. Two days later, just before we went to unload more boxes from one more of the sailing ships, he grunted and motioned for us to step aside two new recruits had taken our places boss stood against the ancient wooden railing and smoked a cigar while the minutes passed in ocean breeze silence guy and I stood unmoving we had only to wait his cigar finished the older man threw it in the ocean ah where the hell with it it's hard to trust these days you boys want a promotion I took the lead in responding seems it's already been given it has, boss. He meant his boss, since no names were used here. It's always looking out for fresh blood. It's Sroomy stuff wears on you, it rots your brain, maybe, your scum always seemed to flow to the top or power uh, corrupts. We're all three, maybe. He turned his smoky eyes toward the sunset. It's beautiful, isn't it? The guy couldn't help himself. Sir, are you blind to the real world? Sir? (laughs) He gave a lifelong smoker's cough laugh. You're a good kid. Ain't your boss no more. Take another pill and we'll go on the ship. This was it. We'd never been allowed to stay in this shard of the realm past sunset and we'd certainly never been told anything about where the ships went. While the crew manned the riggings and sail, Guy and I stood at the rail and watched as we sailed into the sunset in a rather literal manner. The sky came down to meet the dark waters in an actual blaze of gold and crimson fire as long as the horizon. The intense colored light and rolling steam surrounded us for a time, but there was not nearly the heat we expected. It occurred to me that I'd never felt hot in a dream before. I'd felt the effects of heat, such as sweating and exhaustion, but never heat itself. Guy didn't flinch. Determined, he waited for the next dreamscape to show itself. Without landmarks to break up the dream, we covered a great distance in a short time. The landmass ahead looked normal at first, but we both realized we weren't just seeing a beach by starlight. This was a desert, truly, and it was likely infinite in scope. Some distance back, there towered a titanic rectangular glass with one high corner cut at an angle. Stars beyond it were red, and the night sky was purple. Seven parallel beams of glowing dark blue light ran from somewhere within it out into our sky and off into the right, which I believed to be north. Like the door in the warehouse that had led up to the oceanic island that hosted the unnamed city of gold and bronze, this was a passageway to elsewhere, but infinitely grander in scope. The rising moon backlit the frame and my knuckles went white on the wooden rail as I realized just how big the glass prism was. "'We can't turn back now,' Guy murmured. I scanned the deck quickly reconfirming how outnumbered we were. Trying to escape would seal our fate. The only way out was forward into the unknown. The ship ground right up onto the sand, and without a boss for the first time, we did our best to help. The crew waved us off after the first few loads and told us they had it from here. Go on ahead, they said, and don't stray. The gateway awaited we who would wander, best to not enrage it. That's not ominous at all, I joked, but Guy was already making his way up to the starlit dunes. I followed as quick as I could, and we slogged our way across the sands toward that scraper of sky, that glass gateway whose seven beams of dark blue light traced perfect parallel paths toward the distant north for reasons I feared we would soon discover firsthand. Want to give a quick thank you to all my five dollar patrons and members. Absinthe Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Debra Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, if in doubt, flat out, Jesse Jess Jess, Justinia Zaromsky, Karen Parrott, Cat, Lee Riggs, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Nova Nocturne, Ray Clegg, Centennial, the new ongeome twenty four. Tiger Princess, Triumph, and Victoria's Step. Thank you all for the continued support. I really, really appreciate it.